The nature of true apostleship. This, then, is how you ought to regard us, as servants of Christ and as those entrusted with the mysteries God has revealed. Now, it is required that those who have been given a trust must prove faithful. I care very little if I am judged by you or by any human courts. Indeed, I do not even judge myself. My conscience is clear, but that does not make me innocent. It is the Lord who judges me. Therefore, judge nothing before the appointed time. Wait until the Lord comes. He will bring to light what is hidden in the darkness, and he will expose the motives of the heart. And that time, each will receive their praise from God. Now, brothers and sisters, I have applied these things to myself and Apollos for your benefit, so that you may learn from us the meaning of the saying, do not go beyond what is written. Then you will be puffed up in being a follower of one of us over against the other. For who makes you different from anyone else? What do you have that you did not receive? And if you did not receive it, then why do you boast as though you did not? Already you have what you want. Already you have become rich. You have begun to reign, and that without us. Now I wish that you really had begun, begun to reign, so that we also might reign with you. For it seems to me that God has put us apostles on display at the end of the procession, like those condemned to die in the arena. We have been made a spectacle to the whole universe, to angels as well as human beings. We are fools for Christ, but you are so wise in Christ. We are weak, but you are strong. You are honoured, we are dishonoured. To this very hour we go hungry and thirsty. We are in rags, we are brutally treated, we are homeless. We work hard with our own hands. We are cursed, we are, when we are cursed we bless, when we are persecuted we endure it. When we are slandered, we answer kindly. When we've become the scum of the earth, the garbage of the world, right up to this moment. Paul's appeal and warning. I'm writing this not to shame you, but to warn you as my dear children. Even if you had 10,000 guardians in Christ, you did not have many fathers. For in Christ Jesus, I became your father through the gospel. Therefore, I urge you to imitate me. For this reason, I have sent you, Timothy, my son, whom I love, who is faithful in the Lord. He will remind you of my way of life in Christ Jesus, which agrees with what I teach everywhere in the church, in every church. Some of you have become arrogant, as if I were not coming to you. But I will come to you very soon, if the Lord is willing, and then I will find people not out not only how these arrogant people are talking, but what power they have. For the kingdom of God is not a matter of talk, but of power. What do you prefer? Shall I come to you with a rod of discipline, or shall I come in love and with a gentle spirit? Thank you all very much indeed for reading that. I'm impressed you're wearing a t-shirt, Well, I kind of think if we, uh, if we carry on dressing like it's still summer, then summer won't be able to finish. Uh, it's just a matter of facing off against the seasons. It's really, really good to see you. My name's Jeremy. Uh, and I'm on the staff team here at Trinity. Massive welcome to you. It's very good indeed to see you. If it's your first time here at Trinity, then you're very, very welcome. If there's anything you need to know, please do ask someone who's sitting nearby. Well, we're looking at that part of the Bible, 1 Corinthians 4, that Will has just very kindly read to us. And because it's no small thing to hear the voice of God speaking 
in 21st century London. We're going to pray before we look at that together. Shall we pray? Let's do that. For the kingdom of God is not a matter of talk, but of power. Lord God, Heavenly Father, I I pray that as we look at your word together, so it would be more than mere talk, I pray that we would know your power, the power of the cross, your surprising power shown in apparent weakness, the the power of the kingdom, and, and your power to unite us and to humble us as your people. Please bring about real change, permanent change. We ask, Father God, by your powerful words, and we pray in the name of your Son. Amen. Verse 7, have a look down at that. For who makes you different from anyone else? What do you have that you did not receive? And if you did receive it, why do you boast as though you did not? Those are searching questions for us. They're searching, they're, they're difficult questions for us to answer as Londoners in the 21st century because we like to feel that we're special we like to feel that we're in a class of our own we're encouraged to think that way by our society every day you be you you're special only you know what's best and um, we love to divide ourselves off from others we think this is what I've got this is what makes me me this is why I'm valuable this is why I'm a little bit better than other people Paul says, who have you got who makes you different from anyone else? And the Corinthians needed to hear that question too. They divided themselves up into little interest groups, into fan clubs, and they were proud of their message, chapter 1, and they were proud of their spirituality, chapter 2, and they were proud of their leaders. How do you write to a church like that? Um, how, How do you help a proud church that you love? Well, verse 14, uh, Paul doesn't want to shame them, but he wants to warn them as dear children. And and the basic message comes down in in verse 16, just um, seven words down in verse 16. Therefore, I urge you to imitate me. I urge you to imitate me. He's their spiritual father because they've heard the gospel from him, and, and he loves them but he wants them to change. And so what Paul's going to do is he's going to do a a show and tell with his own life. He's going to tell them what his life is like so so that they can copy it. And, and if we're in danger of feeling like we're a little bit better than others, if, if we're straight into thinking that we're a special church somehow, that we've got a lot of things right that, that other people haven't, we might do well to listen in. So what do you want to teach us, Paul? What do you want to teach us? Firstly, Paul says, learn from me, the servant. Learn from Paul, the servant. Chapter 4, verse 1. Did you notice that? Page 1146, if you've laid it close. Chapter 4, verse 1. This, then, is how you ought to regard us as servants of Christ and and as those entrusted with the mysteries God has revealed. Paul is an apostle. He's one of the founders of of the New Testament church, and he's been entrusted with the good news 
all about Jesus Christ crucified. That's the mystery that God has revealed. It's an open secret. It's the wonderful wisdom of God. That um, apparently pathetic message of a man strung up to die in some corner of, of the Roman Empire, it, it, it turns out encapsulates all the power and wisdom of God in his great plan to save people for eternity. It's surprising, isn't it? One man dying a criminal's death becomes the center point of God's wisdom and power. But Paul, well, he's just a servant. He's just a servant. Like, um, like the childcare worker that you give your child to in the morning if, if, if that's what you do. Or um, like the, the cleaner that you've given the keys to your flat to. You know, he's, he's, he's a servant, but he's been entrusted with something very valuable. But you see the job description in, in verse 2? Now it is required that those who've been given a trust must prove what? Talented, funny, attractive, popular, faithful. Just faithful to the upside-down upside gospel of chapter 1, the message of the cross. Be faithful as a servant of God. Not clever, funny, talented, or witty necessarily just faithful and so and so verse 3 it, it turns out it doesn't matter what we think of other people or what they think of us it doesn't even matter get this it doesn't even matter what we think of ourselves in the end um, leaders we saw last week are just farmers and builders Madush was teaching us all about that God knows our motives and he knows the motives of our leaders so there's no need to set up fan clubs the only assessment that matters is the assessment of the last day. The assessment of the last day. And so we're, we're set free. Can you see how liberating this is? We're set free from the court of public opinion. I care very little if I'm judged by you or by any human court, says Paul in verse 3. Indeed, I do not even judge myself. Let that sink in in a world of social media we're set free from the court of public opinion we're not to worry about what people think now maybe maybe lie awake at night worrying about what people think of you it wouldn't be unusual we're set free from the court of public opinion we're just to be faithful and in as far as our motives line up with the message of the cross so verse 5 we'll receive our praise from God. Opinion of one. The opinion of one is what matters. Not now, but in the future. How do we learn from you, Paul? By being faithful servants, wherever that leads you. And sometimes, Paul goes on to say, that's going to leave us looking like, like fools. That's our second point from 1 Corinthians 4. As um, Paul seeks to humble the church that he loves. Learn from Paul the fool. <clears throat> Have a look down at verse 6. This is what he says. Now, brothers and sisters, he's writing to the Corinthian church in the first century. Brothers and sisters, I've applied these things, which is this perspective about future judgment, to myself and Apollos for your benefit, so that you may learn from us the meaning of the saying, do not go beyond what is written. 
I, I take it that that's the message of the cross, the surprising message of God's wisdom. You don't need to go beyond that, says Paul. Then you will not be puffed up in being a follower of one of us over against the other. That was one of the issues in the church that Paul's already mentioned. For who makes you different from anyone else? What do you have that you did not receive? And if you did receive it, why do you boast as though you did not? That's the thing, you see, you can't boast in what you've been given. That's the principle. Gift received means no boasting is appropriate. Imagine you, you meet someone at a party um, and they go for the power play. That happens sometimes, doesn't it? When you meet someone at a party, they, they, they want to impress you. Um, so he tells you that it's his Ferrari Testarossa which is parked uh, in the driveway as it happens and uh, that he bought the bottle of Cristal Champagne uh, with him, that his suit, as it happens, was handmade in Italy and he's come straight off the slopes in Chamonix. Uh, that's his conversation. Um, but then imagine that you find out that the Ferrari and the suitor, his dad's, and it was his uncle actually who paid for some beginner's lessons on the nursery slopes in, in France, and that it was his mum that gave him the bottle of champagne as he was coming out of the door. Here you are, dear, you better take this to the party. What should he have told you? None of it's mine, to be honest. Uh, it's all borrowed. It doesn't belong to me. Uh, you and I are, are, are the same, actually. Um, it's just, I mean, it's a privilege to have these things, but it's all been given to me by someone else. It's very humbling, isn't it? Gift given means no boasting is appropriate. And Paul made it explicitly clear in chapter one that the Corinthians have been given everything that they enjoy. Everything they enjoy. Chapter one, verse five. In him, you have been enriched in every way with all kinds of speech and with all knowledge. God thus confirming our testimony about Christ among you. Therefore, you do not lack any spiritual gift. Notice the word spiritual gift as you eagerly wait for our Lord Jesus Christ to be Revealed. You've been enriched, you've been given a gift, so no boasting is appropriate. Um, but what are they saying? They're saying in verse 8 of chapter 4, um, actually I've got all I want, I've become rich, I've, I've started to reign. How I wish you really had started to reign, says Paul in verse 9, because then you'd be in heaven and, and I could be in heaven with you. But, but in the here and now, what do we say? As, as, as Christians, none of it's mine to be honest. We're just the same, you and me. It's a privilege to be given what we've been given, but it all comes from someone else. But once you let that humble you, says Paul, then you're ready to look like a fool. It's passionate, but it's carefully put. Verse 9, look down at that. Three phrases describing how he's like a defeated slave ready for the arena. Uh, in, in, in those days, in the first century, uh, a, a conquering general would, would come back into Rome and, 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 and first of all would be his generals, the people who'd led the charge, and then there'd be their, their victorious soldiers, and then probably right at the end would be the slaves of 
the foreign army. They, they, they were prisoners of war, and the reason normally that they were at the back was so they could be led to the arena where they could then be killed in front of a watching crowd. Paul's at the end of the procession, verse 9. He's condemned to die, and he's a spectacle to the whole universe. It's not just an arena, it's the whole universe that's looking on. Verse 10, three ways that he's different. He's, he's foolish, he's weak, and he's dishonored. At verses um, 11 and 12, a list of descriptions of the Apostle Paul, hungry, thirsty, ragged, brutally treated, homeless, hard-working with his hands. Three strange responses that you wouldn't expect, but that you see in a Christian like Paul. When you're blessed, uh, when, when you're cursed, you bless. When you're persecuted, you keep going. When someone slanders your name, then you look for a way to be kind to them. Where does that leave you? Summary, verse 13. The scum of the earth, the garbage of the world. Probably that's a polite translation. It's, um, uh, it's that sort of area behind your microwave that you haven't cleaned for six months. and It's that sort of cup of coffee with mold at the bottom. It's the thing you stepped in on the way back home. Now, imagine, imagine the Corinthian church getting this letter. Um, that, remember, there's a, a, an Apostle Paul fan club uh, that you can sign up to in the Corinthian church. And um, they must have been delighted when, when the letter turned up, don't you think? They, they'd have a letter from the Apostle Paul. Here we are. He's our, uh, he's our hero. And um, at last, Paul is going to show everyone why he's head and shoulders above the rest. Look at this, guys. This is why we're in his fan club. Then they open the letter. I'm the scum of the earth, says Paul. Do you think they were disappointed? Paul, don't say that. Well, Paul has understood the upside-down wisdom of God, the apparent foolishness of a crucified Messiah. Because, do you notice... And this always astonishes me. That Jesus asks us to do nothing that he hasn't done himself. Can you see that? Cursed, yes. Homeless, yes. Condemned to die, yes. And because of that, the Corinthians have received a, have received a gift. None of it is theirs. And so they're to learn from Paul the fool. And, and, and can you see the time frame? So if you look at verse 11, to this very hour, he's saying this is a present thing. Or, or verse 13, right up to this moment is the way that it finishes. We are scum. We're despised now in the way that Jesus was despised in his earthly ministry. Can you see that with the implication? And Paul tells us that we'll be glorified one day. But that day has not yet come. We, we mustn't confuse our time frames. If we think we can have everything we want now, if we think we can settle into our thrones, 
then we're stealing from the future. At least we're trying to. Um, there's an appealing thought. I don't know, I, I, this is true in my experience, certainly. There's, there's an appealing lie that I think occurs to all of us at some stage. I remember thinking, thinking like this at university. So, um, this is the appealing lie. Um, other Christians are sometimes a bit boring and dull. Um, no wonder people don't like them t too much. To be honest, I find them a bit uninspiring myself. But, but I've found a way to be a Christian and still be clever, kind, funny, and cool. Uh, I can be wise, I can be well-off and presentable. I could be genuinely impressive. And, and while I can understand that most Christians aren't very popular, I'm not like that. People will like me as much as they like their non-Christian friends. Now, I don't know if that thought's ever occurred to you. I, I'm ashamed to say that it's occurred to me. Friends, our brains, our jobs, our flats, our wisdom, our strength, our position in life are things that we have been given. They're gifts. What should we be saying as we think about those areas where we feel we're strong, our talent and our wit and our achievements? We should be thinking, none of it's mine, to be honest. We're just the same, you and me. It's a privilege to have those things, but it's all been given by someone else and we should get prepared to serve and to suffer be treated poorly to be honest about um, our faith you know sometimes I wonder if, if, there, if there are no bricks coming through our windows is it because we're more like the Corinthians than we're prepared to admit the more honest we are about our crucified Jesus in our office and and with our friends, the less good we will look. We can't avoid that. Um, the best uniform for the Christian is the bin bag. It's not a good look always. It's a hard lesson to learn. You know, the, the only time that we will sit on a throne is when we're all sitting on thrones. Does that disappoint you? And learn from Paul the Fool. And see finally how he pastors the church like a father. That's our, that's our final point. It comes from verses 14 to 21, just across the page on page 1147. What do you want me to learn, Paul? Learn from me as a father, says Paul. Learn from Paul the father. Have a look at verse 14. He's got a stern word to say. I am writing this not to shame you, but to warn you as my dear children. Even if you had 10,000 guardians in Christ, you do not have many fathers. For in Christ Jesus, I became your father through the gospel. Well, have a look down at verse 21. What do you prefer? Shall I come to you with a rod of discipline or shall I come in love and with a gentle spirit? Paul's writing to them with a stern warning. It's one of the sternest in, in, in the Bible. Sometimes as a father, you have to, you have to warn your kids. 
Uh, it, it sometimes feels like parents sort of are given a phrase book when they have children, of phrases that they have to use to, to warn their kids, you know, uh, uh, you're going to end up hurt. My, my, my dad used to say to me on a regular basis, Jeremy, you're tired and you're being stupid. That, that was his warning. So sometimes you have to warn your kids, you know, you have to warn them. Um, I, used to, I used to say to our two children all the time in the family, and I, and I meant it, this is a sincere warning, um, I'm telling you this now because I don't want you to learn the hard way. I really meant that. I wanted them to listen to me so that they wouldn't... I don't know, I mean, I, I remember one occasion when Justin said something to me so rude um, that I could just imagine if he said that to someone on the bus, they would turn around and break his nose. And I kind of thought, I have to tell you now because I don't want you to find out the hard way. There's a real warning here because Paul doesn't want them to find out the hard way. Um, and he warns them, verse 17, I've sent you Timothy. Uh, he's um, sent one of, his, um, uh, one of his fellow Bible teachers to go and see them. Verse 18, he warns them, some of you have become arrogant. This is your last chance, he's saying, because your pride is intolerable. I have to warn you as forcibly as I can. If you read on to 2 Corinthians, then you'll find out they didn't listen to the warning. And Paul did have to go and find them with a rod of discipline. Once pride takes root in a church, my goodness, it's a nightmare to root it out. There's a real warning here to listen to the Apostle Paul. But in fact, Paul understands where real power comes from. And that's his closing point, verse 19. But I will come to you very soon if the Lord is willing. And then I will find out not only how these arrogant people are talking, but what power they have. For the kingdom of God is not a matter of talk, but of power. The Corinthians are full of clever talk, but the power comes in the message of Jesus Christ, in the message of the cross. That's where the power resides, in the apparently foolish message about someone crucified in the corner of a Roman Empire. Christ, the power of God, and Christ, the wisdom of God. That's what Timothy will remind them of. Verse 17, he's going to remind them of Paul's way of life in Christ Jesus so that they can learn from that. And that agrees with what he teaches everywhere in every church, Jesus Christ and him crucified. Learn from Paul in that. Well, Kirsten's going to help us think through our, after our next song a bit more on application. Uh, but in the, in the meantime, let me say this. Because we like to feel special. We like to think that we're in a class of our own, either as an individual or as a church three questions to ask ourselves this week. Three questions. You might want to write them down or put them as reminders on your phone. Are we learning to be faithful? Are we learning what it means to be faithful? Not bright, clever, impressive, and attractive necessarily, but faithful, faithful to the gospel of Jesus and him crucified. Not worrying so much what people think of us on social media or or, or post-work drinks, but patiently waiting to hear God say, well done on the last day. Are we learning that? 
Secondly, are we prepared to be a fool? It's a hard question, that. Do we see what we have as a gift? And so are we willing to be cursed and persecuted and slandered, treated like an idiot, denied jobs, lied about? Are we learning that? And, and lastly, do we understand true power? Do we understand true power? Not, not, in, the, not in the right words, in the perfect presentations, in the endless stories. They're just talk. They're just talk. But in the news of the kingdom, Christ crucified the power of God. Paul wants us to learn from him, but he warns us as dear children. Uh, we're not different from one another, but we are valuable to God. We've received a gift, the gift of his son. And so we're humbled and we're ready to suffer for him. Why don't we pray? Let's pray. Father God, thank you for Paul's care for the Corinthian church. Thank you that he's prepared to describe his own life so that they can imitate him. And so we ask, Father, that we would learn too from the apostle. Please, um, Father God, can we learn how to be faithful and look for that one opinion in the future when you will say to us if we've been faithful, well done. Probably be prepared to be fools, the, the garbage of the world, uh, despised and, and lied about and badly treated. Uh, thank you, Father, for the privilege of walking in Jesus' footsteps as, as we do that. And so, Father God, I pray that we would learn from Paul the Father. Please, Father, make us submissive, make us teachable. And I ask, Father, that we would understand the power of the kingdom, the power of the cross. We ask these things in your name. Amen. <clears throat>